Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash give. Invite your Holy Spirit to do a work in us. Lord, we didn't come here to learn stuff. We came here to get to know you. And we invite you to breathe on our life. Lord, we can study people. We can study Abraham Lincoln. But we could never say we knew him. Lord, we want to know you. And we invite you to do a work in us. Because, Lord, your fragrance over our life is the game changer. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to um, teach on this morning. The title of it is Who Dressed You? Um, Now, I remember when Micah first started growing his mullet. Okay, no mullets were like, Javen, did you have a mullet? How many, who had a mullet here? Let's just be honest. Okay. When he, okay, look, look, if you are not older than 40, you didn't have a real mullet. Um, and, but you know, when, when I think the, when we talk about this and you'll see where we're going, but what is the most popular scripture in the new Testament? What is it? Just you, John three sixteen. Can we? You know, when you when you think about John three sixteen, it's on the bag of Forever Twenty One. If you look on the bottom of Forever Twenty One, if you look on the bottom of In and Out next week, that uh, John three sixteen is on the bottom. But today, I want to talk about Mark three sixteen. Everybody say Mark. 316. I would venture to say nobody in here can quote Mark 316. But um, but I wanna I wanna kind of put us in the driver's seat before I read it. Is Jesus is calling his disciples, and so he's calling them, he's picking them, and he's starting his ministry. And in verse 16, um, Peter or er, er, Simon is the first one that he lists. And I want to just read it because the first time I really thought about this when I read it, it it, it rocked me a little bit, but it says in, in Mark three sixteen. it says, these are the 12 he chose, Simon, whom he named Peter. I mean, think about that for a moment. If you were to come to church here the first week and Micah, Pastor Micah walked up to you and he said, um, no, you're not, you're not Javen anymore. John, you're going to be John. If you showed up at your first day on a job and the boss said to you, nope, that's not your name anymore. This is your name. How many of you would just stop and be like, cut it out? How many of you know what I'm saying? It's in, it, you would just be like, I, that just struck me because I thought to myself, who does that? Who changes somebody's name? And we Americans would not go for that. Are you with me? You, you would, you would, it would, it would like be me walking over to Alan and saying, no longer Alan, it's Maximus. How many of you know what I'm saying? <laughs> How many of you think Maximus fits Alan pretty good? Come on. Not Max, Maximus. Um, and, and so you, you, you think about this and, um, 
and you say, well, you know, that was just a nickname. No, it says, if you read the, the next verse, it talks about James and John, and it says that he nicknamed them sons of thunder. A nickname is a nickname. How many of us have nicknames here today? But Simon, he changed his name to Peter. And all through the Bible, if you look all through the New Testament, is from this day forward, they referred to him as Peter. They would call him Peter. They didn't refer to James and John as sons of thunder. They referred to them as as James and John. And you know, when you look at this, I mean, I just stop and and think about this and think to myself, that just totally, God, I I don't get that. And so I began to drill down in it and realize this, that in biblical culture, names were really, really significant. They were linked to a belief system about the person. And so the parents would name their children based on a belief system about them. And what it did is it would create a self-identity. It would create a view that that person had of themselves. And then when everybody spoke their name over them, it was reinforced over and over and over again in their life. That's why we see this both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. We see God telling parents to name your child this, or you see God having an encounter with somebody in like Abraham and Sarah, he changed their name. I mean, Jacob, their grandson, if you look, the Bible says that God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. If you look up the word Jacob, it means a supplanter or a deceiver. But if you look up the, the name Israel, what it means is is God prevails. And it's like God comes on the scene and he, he, it's like, I mean, think about this for a moment. Rachel, Jacob's wife, is giving birth to a son and in her last breath, she's dying and she says, to, she says to Jacob, she said, name him Benoni. The name Benoni means the son of my sorrow. She said, every time you look at him, you're going to be sorrowful and you're going to be reminded that it, that our, it was done. And Benj- and, he's, and, and Jacob stood up and he said, no, I'm not naming him Benoni. I'm naming him Benjamin, which means the son of my right hand. And so when you talk about names, I mean, Jabez, the book of Jabez, maybe you've read that before, but his name means hurt or to cause pain. And the prayer of Jabez is, God, don't make me a pain or don't make me a cause of pain. Think of John the Baptist. He was named in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, there was this guy, Joseph, and I'm not talking about Jesus's um, natural father, but there's a guy by the name of Joseph who we don't refer to, but in Acts 4.36, the disciples changed his name to Barnabas. How many of you heard of Barnabas? 
And they changed his name to Barnabas. And Barnabas means a son of encouragement. And he's referred to as Barnabas through the rest of the New Testament. And he is the one that when everybody gave up on Paul because they really didn't believe he was converted, Barnabas began to ask, where is he? He went and found Paul, tucked him under his wing, and was responsible for discipling the apostle Paul. And so when you look, when you look up the, the, when you look up the name Simon, what it means is it means a reed. It means something blown in the wind. If you study Simon's life prior to Christ, what you even see with Christ is that he would make a decision and the pressure would ramp up and he would blow. How many of you know what I'm saying? He would be like, I'll never deny you. He would, he would, one breath, he'd say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And in the next breath, when Jesus said, I'm going to the cross, he rebukes Jesus. How many of y'all know, if you rebuke Jesus, you got problems. Simon, and so Simon means a read, but if you, if you look at his life, you can see it. But the word Peter means rock and stability. God, Jesus calls him, and these two names are totally the opposite. Realize this, that how God sees me is independent of how others see me, how my circumstances might be declaring to me, and many times how I even see myself. How God sees me is so far above God wants the greatest influence on what we believe about ourselves to be inspired by him and his word. When it's inspired by him and his word, there's no limits. There's absolutely no limits. And this brings us back to the very first, my title, Who Dressed Me? Right now, the coat I'm wearing, where'd I get it? Who dressed me? What I let into my heart determines the course of my life. It determines the course of my life because my will will align with what I let in my heart. And whatever my will aligns with, my choices go in that direction in my life. And you might be here to your, and you, you might be saying, you know, okay, well, hey, this is really, this is good, but you don't know me. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know the abuse. You don't know the struggles. You don't know the addictions. You don't know what I've been through. You're right. I don't. But I know my story. Many of you, I didn't get saved till I was in college. I didn't, get, I didn't come to the Lord till I was in college. And for you that don't know anything about me, that when I was five years old, I got scissors in my left eye. So what do you mean in your left eye? They went all the way through my eye and cut the muscle behind my eye. And so my eye then, they did all kinds of surgeries and everything, but my eye turned in, it turned in. And they said, it's just going to be like this for the rest of your life. And how many of y'all know kids can be cruel? And so they would make fun of me at school. I'd get made fun of all the time. 
And by the time I made it into, you know, I think I went through like eight surgeries through the process and eventually they, you know, technology and stuff. But in, I remember in, in junior high and high school, they would do the thing where they would be like, um, you know, you'd be in a, you'd have to stand up and do some type of an oral report. And it would be, you, you know, 50% of your grade was based on the written and 50% was on the oral. I would never stand in front of anybody. I would target a hundred on the written because I was so afraid of being in front of people. I give my life to the Lord and he says, I will make you a pastor. (laughs) Say, come again. (laughs) Can I be super really honest with you? I used to walk this duck pond and pray when I was in college. And you say, why did you walk the duck pond? Because for me, what was synonymous with college was broke. How many of you can relate to that? And these ducks would lay eggs every night. And if you were there when the sun, before the sun came up, you beat the crows and you would get three to six eggs. Come on. How many of you are with me? They were like, okay, look, man. They were like, and then these eggs were like cholesterol bombs. I mean, they were, they were like twice the size. And I would do my devotion around that. And the Lord told me, he said, you're going to be a pastor. I remember, and I'm not joking, I laughed out loud. I said, God, I don't see myself as a pastor. I don't want to be a pastor. Lord, you know, you know my past. God, you know my hurts. You know my insecurities. Lord, you, you wouldn't make me do that. Man, I love you with all my heart, but God, I just, I ain't feeling this. See, realize this, that you're here today and God doesn't want the hurts and the limitations of yesterday to be the windshield that you drive your car through. He wants the hurts and the limitations to be the rear view mirror that grow you, but they don't influence you in his direction, decision, and plan. Because when we receive Jesus, he's the game changer. He changes us so much on the inside that our relatives look and say, that can't be you. How many of you know what I'm saying? And what we, what we have to realize in our life is God comes through and he says to ourself, what we do is we come to Jesus, but what we fail to realize is he is expecting us to slide all of the chips of our life into the middle of the table and bet the house on it. And he has a plan for your life. And my, my question to you, or maybe I'm even going to make a statement to you today, is this. Hello, Peter. How's it going, Peter? 
God ain't done. And he's got an incredible plan for your life beyond what you could ever imagine. And I want to, with my remaining time, I want to give you a, just a few things. I'm not going to tell you how many. What time did I start and what time am I supposed to be done? <laughs> no, there is a time. What time did I start? <laughs> how, I got, okay. I'm not going to tell you how many. I'm just going to give you a few. <laughs> okay. That my goal in giving these to you is they get tatted on the inside of you where they motivate, where it's like, okay, God, okay, God. Number one is this, God never gives up on me. He never gives up on me. God does not count how many times I fall. He counts how many times I get back up. That is the God that we serve. That is the God we serve. Some of us have had a wrong view of God. I had a wrong view of God. I was raised in a very dead religious home. And we went to church every week, but we had no relationship with God. And my perspective of God when I was young is he was counting every time I screwed up. And when I realized he's not counting how many times I screw up, he's counting how many times I get back up, it changed my motivation to go after him. Number two is this, is when Peter made a mistake, he responded with humility. He responded with humility. I call it perfect hearted. Everybody say perfect hearted. And I want to explain the difference between perfect minded and perfect hearted. Perfect minded is I believe that perfection is attainable. I believe that God is expecting me to be perfect in my life. And so when I don't attain it, what it produces in me is I condemn myself. I beat myself up because I didn't reach that particular goal. And it pushes me away from God in my life. But, but, but realize this, that perfect hearted is totally different. John three seventeen, right after John three sixteen, it says, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Man, that is like, okay, God. See, and so when we talk about being perfect hearted, it it realized very simply is it's me being perfect hearted is that I have an attitude of humility and humility is what connects us to everything that God has for our life. It's what connects us. Humility says, God, you are always right. And when I screw up, as soon as I see that I screw up, I acknowledge it and I ask you for help. I don't, you you don't have to rake me over the coals. I acknowledge it. And Lord, I need you to help me. Do you realize what the original sin was with Adam and Eve? The original sin was just simply, God, we don't need you. We can figure out right and wrong by ourselves. We don't need you. That's what the original sin, that's original sin. I get to define God. God's like, yo, you're going to screw this whole thing up. 
Paul said, I've learned how to connect my weaknesses to the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Perfect hearted or humility, it positions me. How God described Moses, and I want you to think about this for a moment. Moses led three to seven million people out of Egypt, through the desert, and into the promised land. In God's description of Moses, this is God's take, is he's the humblest man on the face of the earth. That's how God described him. That's what God said. And I want to, let me just say this right now to all of you. And I want you to just nudge the person next to you and say this. Hello, Peter. Just go ahead. Give him a little pop. Give him a little pop. Okay, if you don't do it, I'm going to come over to your space. Or in Alan's case, hello, Maximus. Maximus. Man, don't you like that name, Maximus? It's just like a cool name. Anyway, um, number three is this, is God does not consult our past to determine our future. God does not consult your past. If you study the apostles Paul's life in 1 Timothy 1, He describes himself, he was a blasphemer, he was a murderer, all this stuff. But he said this, he said, God counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. I think it's interesting that before he ever got the platform of what he believed God called him to do, is he had to be faithful where he was. And some of us right now in our life is God is saying, I'll qualify you. I just need you to be faithful where you're at. I need you to go all in where you're at. And you, th- you think about this as Paul said, one thing that I do, I forget what lies behind and I press on ahead. I want to read Mark chapter 16, verse 6 and 7. And I want to give you a little background as this is after the crucifixion of Jesus. It's actually after the resurrection, but nobody knows that he's raised from the dead. And so the Bible says Mary and an entourage of gals are heading this, heading their way to the tomb and they're talking and they're saying, Hey, we're going to need to get somebody to roll the stone away. And they're bringing burial spices and all different kinds of stuff. And they get to the tomb and as they they realize, oh my gosh, the stone has been rolled away and they step inside and look at what this angel said to them in verse six, uh, Mark 16, verse six and seven. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they have laid him. Now look at these words. And I want you to remember this. Look at these words. But go tell his disciples and who? Say it with me. Who? What was the last thing Peter did when Jesus was on the earth? He denied him. It was the last thing. Could you imagine being Peter? 
Could you imagine him? And Jesus said before the rooster crows three times, you are going to deny me. Peter said, I will die. The Bible says the rooster crows. Jesus looks at him after his third denial. And Peter runs off and totally convicted, condemns and beats himself up. Could you imagine being Peter after Jesus' crucifixion for three years? He told him, you're a Peter. You're a Peter. You're a Peter. And Simon is like, I am a Simon. I'm a Simon. I'm a Simon. And in your last breath, you literally declare, I'm a Simon. And the first thing that God says after the resurrection is go tell the disciples and Peter. Why would God single out Peter like that? Because he knew He questioned. He doubted. It's never going to happen. I knew it. After three years with the Son of God, I knew it. And he says, go tell the disciples. Could you imagine being Peter when the girls came up and said, he's alive. He told us to come tell you. And he singled you out, Peter. Could you imagine being Peter saying, did he say my name? Did he actually say, Peter? Yes. John, James and John. What about our name? Did he say, nope, didn't say nothing about you. He just said, Peter. <laughs> this is ridiculous. How many of you know what I'm saying? Peter's like, no, no. He really said in Peter, oh my gosh. Think about that for a moment. Some of us right now, you got to get back on the horse. He made some mistakes. Coming the end of summer, he'd been gone, whatever. You got to get back on the horse. God is not putting you down. He's saying, let's get back on the horse. He's saying, hello, Peter. That's what he's saying. Number four. Did I go 15 minutes? No. Okay, I'm going to give you one more. Just one. Okay. I, this is terrible. I should have put a, a timer down. <laughs> Number four is this. Is guard your heart. For the purpose of what we're talking about today, my heart is my inside seeing, thinking, and reasoning. What is my inside? Not the outside. Inside. Seeing, thinking, and reasoning. Proverbs 4.23 says this. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. I think it's interesting. It didn't say... God determines the course of my life. It says what I let in my heart determines the course of my life. Did Jesus pay for the sins of all humanity? Is everybody going to heaven? They have to choose. They have to choose. And what he said is he said, what I let get in my heart 
It determines the course of my life. He said, above everything you guard. I think it's amazing today. I mean, we're putting double, triple dead bolts and we got alarm systems and we got everything else. And God's like, but you don't guard anything that gets in your heart. You just let anything anybody says just get in your heart. Every time you go through a circumstance or a situation, you reason contrary to my promise about you and you let it get in your heart. Every time that you go through a bump in the road or you go through something you don't get, he said, realizes that's where faith comes in. See, what I let get in, it determines everything. What is the loudest voice right now that I'm listening to about myself and my future? Is it God and his word or is it something that I've allowed to literally take control of my car and God is saying, it's time to make an adjustment right now. What's the loudest voice in my life? Is it the influence of God in his word that's created a picture in me or is it something else that I've let get in to my life? I believe today our will is so powerful. It, your will is so powerful. What you align it with determines the course of our lives. And some of us today, as we look at Peter, I don't know about you, but I can so relate to Pete. How many of you are with me on that? I can just look and just be like, wow, oh my gosh. And I wonder today, could we stand to our feet? Go ahead and stand up. I wonder today that you're here. And I don't know what's going on in your life, but what I do know is that God is really good. He's really, everybody say really good. Sweet. He is sweet. He is really good. But my will determines everything. And maybe you're here today and the Lord right now is using me to challenge you to slide all of your chips into the center of the table and bet the house on it. Say, God, I'm, I'm ready to go all in. I'm done doing my thing. Lord, right now, I just, I want to know you. I want to know the one that the Bible says has resurrection power, which means brings life to dead things. You're here today, just with every head bowed, every eye closed. And you just say, man, right now, I feel like I'm being challenged on the inside. And God is saying to me, hello, Peter. And he's challenging me to let something go. He's challenging me to agree with him. And I want it right now. I want it right now. Just with every head bowed, you say, that's me. We're all going to pray together. But just to align your will on the count of three, you say, that's me. I want you to just lift your hand. Say, Jesus, you're talking to me. One, two, three. Lift your hand up. There you go. All over the room. Thank you, God. 
Thank you, Lord. Lord, we today, we need you. Lord, you're the same. You're the same as in the New Testament when you walk the earth. Except for now, you've given us your Holy Spirit. And we today come before you and we invite you. Lord, do a washing. Do a fresh thing. Turn over a new leaf. Prune off a dead branch. Lord, we say yes to you. Everyone pray this with me. Jesus, I need you. I'm asking you. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. Help me, God. Don't leave me to myself. I choose you in Jesus' name. Amen.